Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back. Welcome back. You picked up your Bible again today? That's a good job. We're happy you get a gold star. you did. Yes. Gold star and a chicken nugget. Yes. The other day, one of my kids said something in, in the oldest one. He was like, do you want a cookie? And he just was like, congrats. Do you, do you want a cookie for that? What's up with that snark, man? What I are you teaching know. them? I don't know. I beat it out of him. So. <laughs> you beat it out of him. No. Anyways, we're glad that you're back with us today. You it's, get a cookie uh, and a gold star and no snark No attached. snark. No snark. Hey, so uh, we value transparency with this podcast. So we want you to know that this week is marathon week for Pastor Rod and I when it comes to the podcast. Because next week, I'm going to be out of town. Gallivanting in California. Gallivanting. That's what it's going to be. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm flying out for some board meetings in California. So I'm not going to be here. So we are, uh, we're doing what we can to make sure that this continues come rain or in snow earnest. or board meetings. That's right. Yeah. So we're recording a lot of them this week. So here they come. They're coming at you. This week being probably last week when you hear this. <laughs> no, this one's tomorrow. This one. Well, okay. This one's tomorrow. Yes, I guess yeah. that's true. But moving forward. They're recording a lot. So like next week, if something major happens and you're like, why aren't they talking about it on the podcast? Why Why are they? This is why. Because is we're why. recording them all super early. Yeah. I can't believe that Jared won the $10 billion lottery and he Amazing. donated all of it to the church. Amazing. 100% yeah. tithe. 100% tithe. Yep. Yeah. We'd be happy with that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Could we accept it in good conscience? He would have to win and not tell us he won. Listen, let's have that be a problem that we have to solve. I don't know, man. I don't know. Jared, don't play the lottery, buddy. It's a don't. bad decision. Don't do it. Bad investment. It is. Yeah. But if you did play and you won and you wanted to give it to us 100%. We'll have a conversation. We'll pray pray for a little bit about how about, to go about that. About it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um... We're in Daniel, and uh, if you have been tracking with us, and you've been tracking with us up through Daniel chapter six, okay. Although there was a couple of dreams and some interpretive issues there, and you're going, everything what, changes. What now. are we doing? Uh, we're shifting in chapter seven back to uh, apocalyptic literature with a lot of prophecy, a lot of uh, visions of the future, uh, a lot of symbols, a lot of symbols, a lot of detail in these chapters. Uh, one resource that I wanted to throw your way. Um, that I think is helpful. If you go to Bible.org, that's... How do you B- spell that? B-I-B-L-E dot O-R-G. That's the book for me. Yep. If you go to Bible.org, you can, under the study tab on there, you can search by book of the Bible. And if you do that and pull up Daniel, it will give you uh, quite a lot of content on Daniel. Sermons on Daniel from guys like Mark Dever. Um, Are you in there? Uh, I'm not. John MacArthur is in there. They didn't call me. But you can listen to MacArthur sermons on Daniel. I'm just uh, saying, all you radio preachers might you be know, in the same we're, we're close. Tommy Nelson, he's a guy over was over at uh, Denton Bible Church. He's uh, his sermons are on there. You've got uh, quite a few that are just super helpful, as well as a lot of really good articles. If you want to get down more into the depth, there's uh, a whole series of notes by a guy named Tom Tom Constable, um, who uh, is a former professor at Dallas Seminary back in the day when it used to be uh, more solid than it is now. Good resource, Bible.org. You can find out a lot of helpful things there for your study to uh, to complement your study as well as your time listening to us on the Daily Bible Podcast. There's a lot of good resources out there, PPJ. How do you discern a good resource from a not-so-good resource? Because to your point, uh, there's lots of guys on this website. I'm looking at it right now. Um, but some of them, you might be like, well, well, maybe not him or maybe not her stuff. How do you know? 
yeah I, if if in doubt check it out check it out yeah no <laughs> if in doubt don't don't check it out that's a bad idea no if in doubt um that's what one of the things that pastor Ron and i are here to do so you can ping us you can text us you can email us Mark Kogan, same thing. You can reach out to him and say, hey, what do you know about this person? Would you recommend this? Would you not recommend this? If we don't know, if we've never heard of them, we'll, we'll at least do some digging on it to, to try to find out. We've got enough experience between us that uh, I think we can give a, a generally qualified answer as to whether or not this is a, a good uh, resource or, or somebody that you should be listening to or paying attention to uh, based on our experience there. So if you've got questions and that, that goes for anything, if you, if somebody says, Hey, you should read this book and you're not sure about the author, you've never heard of them, whatever, reach out to us. And we'd be happy to, uh, to kind of just give you our two cents on the thing. Not that our word is inspired, but uh, we do think that we have your best interest at heart when it comes to uh, making sure that you're taking in good material. Yeah, that's helpful. And, and if, if maybe send an email question at uh, podcast, and that's the one podcast, podcast at compassntx.org. compassntx.org. What would I be without you, my co-host? I don't know. I don't know. I'd be giving out false information, man. Am I your co-host or are you my co-host? I think you're my co-host. We're co-hosts. I am helping. <laughs> <laughs> We're both co There's not a singular leader on this podcast. As Jesus. As, yeah. Jesus yeah. podcast. Yeah. Well, hey, on that note, let's jump in to Daniel chapter 7. Is Jesus in Daniel? Yes, Ah, he is. He is. He is in Daniel. Yes. Dude, okay, we're going to get into that in this chapter. I've got questions. I can't promise you answers. I hope you do have answers. I will maybe ask more questions. Well, chapter 7 opens up in the first year of Belshazzar. So we are back in backup. We are, our, Daniel is not chronologically written. Back up, Terry. So, yeah. <laughs> what you doing, Terry? So if, if you like chronology, Daniel's not the book for you. Except it is because there's a lot of visions that have to do with the unfolding chronologically of history. But the, the book just jumps around. So we're back in about 550 BC in that time frame here. And uh, Daniel's interpreted dreams. And now Daniel's going to get his own dream or his own vision here. And this time he sees these beasts come up out of the Great Sea. Now, the Great Sea, when you read that, is uh, oftentimes in the Old Testament. And it is here as well, a reference to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and so this is uh, potentially symbolizing the the sea of humanity, the vastness of humanity. And these four beasts rise out of this. And each of these beasts are different in their own regard. And uh, without belaboring each one too much, because we just don't have the time on this podcast to go overly in depth on them, you've got the, the succession of these empires that we've already seen before in the book with the statue uh, that Nebuchadnezzar saw. So initially here, you've got the lion. The lion is Babylon. You've got next the bear uh, raised up on one side. That's Medo-Persia. And remember, it's raised up on one side because it wasn't a balanced power there in the, the kingdom there, Medo-Persia. The Persian empire was the stronger empire. And it has these ribs in its mouth, which are, are a lot of commentators wonder what what is the significance therein. And Nobody knows for sure, other than it seems to be this is the prey of the bear, that the bear is is fierce. The bear is, is devouring. And it's expanding the kingdom even further than it did in than, than Babylon did. After the bear comes a, another animal, and this is the leopard. The leopard was swift. The leopard was fast. And, and uh, this represents Greece, specifically under the, the rule and reign of Alexander the Great. That it was such a rapid expansion. No one had conquered like Alexander conquered. That was one of the reasons why his moniker was Alexander the Great. And so he came on the scene, and uh, and it was noticeable. And so you've got the leopard representing Greece, and then you've got the the fourth beast that was different in in kind, different in nature. So the beast itself is separate then from these ten horns that rise up. And so the beast itself represents the Roman Empire. Then you've got these ten horns, which represent ten kings. And these 
ten horns. Uh, so to this point, all of these empires we've seen them in, in history. We can point back to them and say these are all of these 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 empires. When we get to the ten horns, these ten kings, it, it's un, my opinion that these are future kings that we have not yet encountered. That this is uh, similar to in Nebuchadnezzar's statue with the, the the toes that were mixed between iron and clay. You get into a situation we have not yet seen. And so herein, I think we see a, a future group of or a coalition of kings that, that come together. And then from these emerge one tiny little horn, that little horn being the one that we call or know as the Antichrist. And so this is the vision. This is the dream that Daniel receives here in chapter seven. So if some of this sounds familiar, it's because you've already encountered some of this in Daniel chapter two. Daniel chapter 2, you have a very uh, a different image, but you have the same concept. You have these kingdoms. Uh, in, in Daniel chapter 2, you have the image of, or the dream rather, of Nebuchadnezzar, the, the head of gold, the uh, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, etc., etc. And that was in chapter 2 where you saw the, the rock come and crush him. Well, you have a recapitulation of this same information now in Daniel chapter 7. So here's what's interesting. Those two chapters kind of function um, as hinges or, or, or just kind of a high points in the book of Daniel. We told you that the book really divides itself into two places. Uh, so chapters one through six are the narrative, uh, the, the narrative form where you read about Daniel and his friends and the lion's den, etc. And then chapters seven through twelve, it gets really weird. Um, but there's also another structure within Daniel, and that's also at the peaks of chapters two and seven. But also. Uh, those chapters, <laughs> chapters two through seven, are also in Aramaic, so they're in a different language. The it's Bible, true. we hadn't noticed noted that yet. Have we, we have not noted that, and, and partly, if you read your Bible, you'll notice it tells you in Daniel chapter two, like this next section is in Aramaic, and then it continues in Aramaic all the way through chapter seven, which again, chapters two and seven are kind of the peaks of Daniel, and those are talking about the sovereignty of God over the nations and His future plans for what would come of those nations. So, just a heads up, complicated book interesting, incredibly interesting book. And this is why it's important, again, to read your Bible and study it. Reading it, you're not going to be able to dive into this stuff, but studying it, you could slow down and take it verse by verse. We would highly recommend that you do both. Chapter 7 then gets this scene where he sees now, as the vision shifts away from the four beasts, which he's going to return to and get an interpretation on that, but the, the Ancient of Days. Now, the Ancient of Days takes his seat on the throne. Now, it's a good song. This is where it is a good song. This is where I've got Questions, because the Ancient of Days seems to be here, it, God the Father, because you've got one like the Son of Man later in the text coming before the Ancient of Days to receive the kingdom and the authority. Mm-hmm. John 4, God is spirit. He, he has no corporal body. And so here we see the Father in a visible form, where in, in, in this vision at least, Daniel is able to see God the Father in some sort of a physical form of, of body that he can describe it that way. PR, do you think that's metaphorical only, or do you think that this is God taking up some sort of anthropomorphic form that Daniel was able to see? Well, I think I think both of those things. I, I, you're right. God does not have a body or form. So we have to say, okay, this doesn't mean what it looks like. It means that that he's describing an actual personage of the Father. Therefore, I'm with you. John's using this language to grasp at something of the reality of the effulgent glory of God. So he doesn't mention what his face looks like. He talks about his uh, his hair uh, being like pure wool. I, I don't think that he had actual hair yeah. uh, unless there's something else that he's describing, which I, I can't see another option other than he's describing God 
who, who is God the Father interacting with God the Son and his trying his best to use language to encapsulate the glory of what he's saying. Yeah. Well, the Ancient of Days is in a position of judgment, and he presents to the Son of Man the, the kingdom and the everlasting kingdom. And this is a, a picture of the establishment of the fifth kingdom. You, you remember back to the, the statue, there was the fifth kingdom. The fifth kingdom was the rock without cut with, from the mountain without hands that destroyed the whole statue and was set up without end. And, and here... The, the one like the Son of Man is Jesus, and he is the one that would rule and reign, and his kingdom would have no end forever and ever. Well, then we get the vision interpreted. Um, one of the, the myriads that are gathered around the throne come to Daniel to explain the the statue. And he starts with, or the, the, the beast, and he starts with just a summary in verse 17. It's kind of comical because it's like, okay, well, well duh, <laughs> thank you. We, we know that. What, what do they mean, though? Because he says, hey, these are four beasts, four kings who shall rise out of the earth. Um, but then he goes on to, to unpack it and he talks about the succession of these kingdoms and uh, and really gets into a lot about the fourth beast here that's going to devour the whole earth. Verse 24, the 10 horns out of his kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. Y'all, this is where we get into a lot of the speculation. I don't know if you remember a ways back when the European Union first came on the scene, everybody was, was kind of worried that maybe these are the 10 kings and everybody's watching to see how many kingdoms are going to coalesce together. Is this going to be 10? Is this the fulfillment of Daniel 7? What are we looking at here? In the future, there's going to be some sort of group of kingdoms that, that join together. And from that group, one is going to separate. And that one is going to be the Antichrist, the one we know as the, the, the beast later on in the book of Revelation. And so here, in the, the, for the first part of the, the, the tribulation, the first three and a half years of the seven years of Jacob's trouble, which we'll, we'll talk a lot about here in these, these uh, last few books of the, the year, uh, there's peace with, with the whole earth. And, and then after this, and three and a half years in, there's a, a time where he goes after the people of God. He goes after the, the Jewish people. He breaks his treaty. He puts an end to the sacrifices, the abomination of desolation, a lot of things. This is talking about a lot of what we see in Revelation chapters 12 and 13. Um, and, and uh, well, pr- prior to that, but, but this, is, this is the Antichrist wreaking havoc on the earth here in the, the end of chapter 7. So the, the odds are, as you read this, you're going to find yourself a bit over your head. What does that mean? Who's talking? Why are they doing this? And this is yet another reason why being in in your Bible is so critical and important. The more you expose yourself to the Old Testament, the more you expose yourself to the imagery and the symbols that the scripture uses, the more fluid and more easily you'll be able to pick up on some of the terminology that's being utilized here, like the horn, for instance. You've seen the horn before. That's not a new symbol. That's a symbol that's that's all over scripture, and it usually refers to a leader, a, a someone who carries authority and power, and that horn being broken. So be encouraged that you're reading it, even if you're not tracking with all that it says. That's okay. That's to be expected. You won't ever reach a place where you'll know everything that's in there. For you'll sure. always have questions, but stay in it. It's yep. important that you do it. So good job being here. Good job. Keep reading. Yep. Chapter 8. We're going to go a little bit quicker through chapter 8 so we can get over to First John chapter 5 as well in somewhat of a timely fashion. But in, in chapter eight, you've got two kings. You, you've got two kingdoms represented again by two animals. This time you've got a ram and a goat. And here in, in this situation, you've got the ram is the, the kings of Medo, Medo-Persia. This is the, the, the empire that was going to conquer Babylon. And then after that, you've got the goat. The goat represents Greece and specifically Alexander the Great. If you look down in, in your Bibles in verse 20 and 21, the ram that you saw, these two horns, two kings of Medo-Persia, the goat is the king of Greece. There it is, plainly stated for us, right? And this is, again, before, this is only two years later. Uh, so this is uh, still long before this any of this transition takes place at this point. 
<laughs> and so this is prophecy. This is Daniel seeing the future unfold in these dreams. Alexander the Great comes, and, and here's how detailed this prophecy gets, because it talks about the division into four kingdoms, uh, even after, or four uh, sects of power, even after the death of Alexander the Great. And and that's uh, such an interesting part that that is uh, confidence for us as as we read the Bible, that the Bible is history, and the Bible is inspired, and the Bible is God uh, laying out his sovereign plan. Verse 22, as for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall rise. Well, Alexander the Great dies, has no successor. Four generals take over as the leaders of the kingdom of Greece. So chapter eight is really kind of a zoomed in focus on what's going to happen after Babylon between the next two kingdoms, Media, Persia, and Greece. So just so you know, there's a there's a contingency of Christians and even those who are not Christians who would say that this must have been written later. Prophecies are too specific. They're too... Uh, they're too accurate, I guess. Um, we don't believe that. Okay, so we didn't say that yet. We don't believe that, and we don't think you should believe that either. And there's reasons why they think that, but they're not substantially good and worth your attention. So we're going to take this for what it is. It's prophetic. It is about the future, and God has accurately foretold what would take place. Yeah, helpful. End of chapter eight, there is another little horn. This is a different little horn, though, than the little horn that we saw in chapter oh, seven. Baby horn. Yeah, this is a different one. This is uh, one that is is is. Pretty wicked and pretty evil, though, himself in his own right. This was a reference to Antiochus IV or Antiochus Epiphanes. And there are some that believe that he is the fulfillment of the prophecies about the Antichrist. And uh, and that is because he did go into Jerusalem. He did put an end to sacrifices. He did commit the abomination of desolation, sacrificing a pig on the altar there in Jerusalem. Uh, but this is not our understanding of who the Antichrist is. We believe that there are yet there's yet future fulfillment of that. And in part because this is not the end of the the unfolding of the the, uh, the beast here. There are more kingdoms to come after Greece here. But just know this is Antiochus the fourth historical figure. That's what's going on here in the end of chapter eight. That's right. Well, let's go over to chapter five of First John, where we don't have any animals. Not yet. Not Last time I looked. Yet. If your Bible has animals in First John five, time to get rid of then it. And it's time to get a new one. Hey, First John chapter 5, Overcoming the World. That's kind of a fun title for the ESV, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. It's exciting. Look at verse 2. This is a repeated theme in the, the letter. By this, we know we love the children of God. Okay, so now it's like, well, how do I know that I even love the children of God? It's connected back to what? It's connected back to our love for God and our obedience to his commandments. Again, I just think how impactful it must have been to hear Jesus say, here's the greatest commandment, love God with all that you are and love others as yourself. That theme seems to come up so often in New Testament epistles, in New Testament writings. John was there. Obviously, he was there. He records that, uh, was there in the upper room when Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you're my, my disciples if you have love for one another. This was hugely impactful for him. And here in this book where he's writing again about this is what fellowship, this is what what uh, Christianity looks like. Um, he's laying it out for us saying, it looks like this, love God, love others. I, I mean, that's, that's his, his litmus test essentially in so much of what we read about in this book. Verse six though, he who came by water and blood PR, what does that phrase represent there? It is a reference to the Trinity. That's not the case. No, it's not. That's not the case. Uh, water and the blood. Um, oh, man. So, in case you do happen to have an NKJV, <laughs> which I did. Did you ever have a new King James version of the Bible, bro? I did not. I, okay, so I did. And for the longest time, I thought this was the go-to passage to defend the Trinity because it said it there. 
the water, the spirit, and the blood, these three agree, and basically it's a reference to the Trinity. So why does my ESV not say that? Well, the oldest manuscripts don't testify to that specific translation. So if you have an NKJV, I'd recommend that you use a different Bible. Or at least be aware that the manuscript tradition behind the New King James Version is different than the manuscript tradition behind ESV, NASB, and others like it. Um, so uh, we'd recommend that you don't do that, uh, that you don't take that for what for what it says there. When it comes to 1 John chapter 4 here, when we say water and the blood, what we're talking about is the water uh, of the Spirit, the Spirit's cleansing, the blood of Christ being sufficient to atone for the sin of mankind. So I don't think it has anything to do with... Uh, with uh, it alludes to the Trinity, but that it's not a Trinitarian verse in the sense that it's defending it the way that you and I would hope for. What would you say on that, Pastor PJ? Yes, I would agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it's there's a, a lot that goes behind it. Finding and having that confidence in your uh, your scriptural translation is is huge, and it's one of the reasons why we've embraced the ESV. Um, there are going to be preferences out there across the board with our, our approach to a translation, whether we agree or, or disagree. In fact, in the, I don't love the way that ESV translates and, and handles the, the 70 weeks of Daniel, which we'll get to uh, in one of the upcoming mm. episodes. But by and large, it's a solid one. We can, we can rely on it, and uh, I think they've handled it correctly here too. So water in the blood is not the Trinity. We don't th- every, every passage that talks about God has Trinitarian implications. I think it's there. Um, scripture is replete with that, but it's not a definitive like, "Hey, open and close case." And I'm looking for the. I'm pulling out my NKJV right yeah. now to see exact because I want I want to read it because I think it's like, oh, okay, well that's interesting. Why doesn't my ESV say that? Yeah, because uh, other commentaries you'll read, and including some that I consulted in, in preparation for this, point to water and blood and say, "Well, this is baptism and his baptism, and this is the the crucifixion that he he who came by water that that anointing for for earthly ministry, the beginning of his earthly ministry." marked his baptism, that's water, and by blood, which is the culmination of his earthly ministry, which is the crucifixion, his death on the cross. And so that they'll say that that's what John was implying or referring to here. Here's what the New King James says. First John 5, 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Man, talk about a clincher verse. When I was talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, I'd, I'd go there. Yeah. It took me a while to figure out that that's... Uh, that's a poor translation. Yeah. And, and that's, so what do we do with that? Was was this nefarious on the part of those that, that slipped that in there? Man, it, it, we have to remember those that were copying the manuscripts were not under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were human beings. And that's why a lot of times when we find manuscript differences there, we can go to a multitude of manuscripts, compare them across the board and say, this is the preferable route. Why did this one scribe decide to add these things in there? Who knows? It, it could have been sometimes they weren't even part of the text. They would write them in the margins of the text as as right. a commentary on the text. And then eventually those got included in because the next scribe thought, oh, this must have been meant to be put in there and they included it in there. So it wasn't that they were always out to pervert the text. But largely they were not. Right, exactly. They weren't trying to. Yeah. And and so and that's why one of the one of the principles of interpretation and, and textual translation is that the more difficult reading is to be preferred. That's not across the board, but that's one of the guidances. And the reason is is because a lot of times these scribes would try to smooth Help the, it. <laughs> yeah. Smooth the translation. Help yeah. us understand what was implied there. Yeah. And so that's why one of the guiding principles is that the more difficult reading is the one that is probably more original. That's right. Yeah. So there you go. Water and blood, not, we, I would hold uh, baptism, crucifixion here um, rather than a reference to the Trinity. Okay. 
Whoever has a son has life, verse 12. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Um, John is wrapping things up, reminding why he wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. Again, there's a reminder of his purpose, a big purpose in writing this. Uh, What about the, the sin that leads to death? Let's hit that real quick. Is there a sin that leads to death? Yes, John says so. John says so right there in verse 16. There is a sin that leads to death, and we shouldn't pray for those that are or have committed this sin. What is that sin? Are you going to answer that question? I don't know. I don't know. I was just, I was, I was pausing for dramatic effect. Oh, okay. I, look, look. People are like, did, did my radio turn off? <laughs> radio, because they're listening yeah, to us on the radio. Us, yeah. Um, here's the deal. Uh, this gets back to the blasphemy of the spirit. Can one do that today? I, I heard somebody talking about this the other day on the radio. They said, man, if this was a particular sin that one could commit today, I don't think Jesus would leave us in the dark on that. I don't think he would say, you know, there's, there's the blasphemous sin or the sin that can lead to death and just be totally leave us in the dark. Here's what I think. I think this could be a sin that is persistent in a believer's life that, or in a, in an unbeliever's life rather, that is causing them to harden their hearts and sear their conscience to the point where God turns them over. And so that is going to be different for everyone. That's not going to be the same sin across the board. That's not going to be one sin that you can point to and say, this is it. This is the one sin. And this is it. But I do think perhaps, and and I think that fits in the context with the rest of what John's been writing. No one who is a believer keeps on sinning, maintains that persistent pattern of disobedient sin in their life. So I think this is even a warning to John to say, hey, there there is somebody that even after rebuke and calls to repentance persists in sin, that's not somebody that you should continue to pray for if they're willingly rejecting the gospel in Christ over and over and over again through that. Thoughts? I I think that's the easier part of the passage. The, The harder part is, okay, I don't pray for them. I, I feel like that's that's right. the harder call. Not praying for somebody that you feel like is in persistent sin. I mean, because I don't know if their soul is, I, could, well, can that's they true. turn? Can, they, can there be a difference? So I, I struggle with that part of it. Knowing that there is a sin that leads to death, there is a sealing of someone's destiny by the way that they live. I know, I get that. But on my part, I don't know. So I guess my encouragement to you, Christian, if you're looking at that and saying, well, do I pray for my fill in the blank, close relative, my friend, my, my associate? I think you're going to have to follow the leadership of the spirit and the spirit's going to give you that sense of yes, keep praying for them or no, let it go. Yep. I can't be the, the judge in that department for you. And I think scripture does give us, give us a time and a place to say there is a time to, to stop praying for somebody. I don't know definitively when I could tell you, yeah, that's the time you yeah. have to let the spirit lead. Let the spirit lead. Also, if you need help with that, reach out. We'd love to, We'd uh, be to talk happy to, to counsel that. with you. Yeah. yeah. So, Hey, Tune in tomorrow for uh, hopefully a shorter version of the Daily Bible Podcast. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. We'll catch you guys later. Words. Peace. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.